think of, think about what the meeting point is. Um, you know, don't address this as if this is the law. We know it is the law, but um, actually that can make people feel defensive. Um, so I talk about thinking about, well, we're all here to value all our pupils. We're all we're here to value all our pupils' family and the wider school community. We're here to value all our staff. And I think that's the meeting point. I think everyone can agree on that. No one disagrees on that. Hi, I'm Adam. Hello, I'm Joe. Welcome to Pride and Progress, a podcast which amplifies the voices of LGBT plus educators and allies. In each episode, we're joined by a variety of guests to discuss how we can collectively reimagine our educational spaces as LGBT plus inclusive. Join us as we learn, unlearn, and celebrate the power of diversity. Hello, friends, and welcome to Pride and Progress. We are excited to bring you a special panel episode today where we will be discussing the topic of LGBT plus inclusion in sport and PE. Now, sport can be a divisive topic when discussed within the context of LGBT plus inclusion. And so today, as well as discussing some of these challenges and barriers, we will be celebrating the great progress that has been made and discussing the important benefits of LGBT plus inclusive sport. We are delighted to have four fantastic guests join us today. So let's spend a few minutes getting to know each of them. Our first guest is Alex Baird, whose pronouns are she, her. Alex taught PE and maths in schools for 13 years, finally as director of sport. Alex mainly worked in secondary, single-sex girls, private schools, but also has experience in state, co-educational and primary schools. She has also taught for a year in Australia. Five and a half years ago, Alex moved into higher education and is now a senior lecturer in sport and physical education at the University of Bedfordshire, as well as the university-wide EDI co-lead. She is also completing an education doctorate with the excellent thesis title, Querying, with two E's, Leadership in UK Higher Education. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Adam. It's lovely to be here. Um, can we just commend you on the pun in your thesis title? That is excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we'll hear more about that later on, but let's kick off. Um, what was your experience like um, of PE in school? So I was in secondary school in the 90s, um, so it's a period of section 28. Um, so... Yeah, sexuality wasn't really spoken about. Um, I think, if anything, I felt a little bit scared. I felt a little bit isolated. I think it was probably my gender that I questioned more because um, I didn't really think that I, I could be gay. I didn't think that was really a possibility. I was pretty lucky. I went to an all-girls school myself. Um, and I think in some ways that gave me more freedom to be myself. Um, but in other ways, um, I suppose older female teachers had quite a narrow perception of what they expected as as, as girls growing up. Um, so yeah, I, I loved playing sport. I think I was, you know, perceived as the sporty person. I think that was pretty cool up until I was about 13, 14. And then suddenly I wasn't cool for liking sport. And, and sport wasn't valued as much, I think, as I, you know, became 15, 16. Um, but I think I, sport was important to me. That's where I found my strength. And I think I just subtly questioned things. There was a couple of moments in school where, um, gay teachers were sort of outed by my, my friends and I would just sort of challenge that softly. Nothing ever came back to me. And, um, I look back at my yearbook only a few years ago. And one thing that I wrote when I was asked, what did I dislike most about the school? I wrote lesbian jokes and nothing came back to me about that. But I think, you know, intuitively I, I was challenging things. 
So that was my experience as a, as a pupil. But I'm happy to share my experience as a teacher as well. I think we'll be talking a little bit later on, particularly about your experience as a teacher. I really like that sentence where you said, that's where I found my strength. I think we all have that that subject or that area in school where we found our strength. Um, I, I wish that it was PE or sport for me. It, it wasn't. And and that experience is, is mirrored by so many, so many people. And maybe our next guest, our, our second guest is Michael C. Waring, whose pronouns are he, him. Michael is a qualified transformational coach and specialises in empowerment and self-love. He also studies psychotherapy and, as of January, began public speaking. Michael's early career experiences of PE were extremely difficult and he was bullied for being gay. But he's since learned to love sport and exercise and wants to make sure that others do too. Michael, I said in that introduction there that your experience of PE were really challenging at school, maybe very different to Alex's. But now you have a passion for exercise and for sports. How has that journey been for you? Um, so, so at school, when I when I participated in physical education PE, um, it was difficult because in the changing rooms, the boys would pull my pants down um, and laugh at me, and I was going through puberty. So that was really difficult, um, very traumatic, um, and not a lot got done about that. So I ended up getting my mum to write me notes to get out of PE. And then um, after a while, I'd start forging notes to get out of PE. And then as I when I left school, I would sign up to a gym um, and I would go to go to the gym, but my anxiety would stop me going. So I'd be paying for a service I wasn't utilising and reaffirming all these beliefs that I had from childhood, that there was something wrong with me, nobody liked me, all this kind of thing, and it just exacerbated the anxiety. So in the end, I, well, I'm in recovery as well, just to to, to add that in, but in recovery, I started to get to know and understand myself and make sense of my past and how bullying and discrimination had impacted my relationship with myself. And... I found I kind of thought I want to give the gym another go, if that makes sense. I want to give sport another go because I no longer had that vice that I had in alcohol. <laughs> and I wanted to have a positive outlet for, you know, my emotions and my mental health as well, because it's good for your mental health exercise. Um, and so I really did a lot of research around what what was causing my anxiety was going into an environment where I was on my own, but it was quite crowded, waiting for equipment, all of this kind of thing. And then feeling like people were looking at me and I'm being judged because, you know. And um, so in the end, I found a really small community gym which runs classes uh, with four people per class. Everyone's really friendly, very diverse community. And I just absolutely love it. We go out for walks every other weekend in the countryside and all these different things. So it's a real community that's going on there. So that's worked really well for me. And yeah, as I say, I love exercise now. I think it's amazing. It really does support, you know, my mental health. And of course, there are physical benefits too, in terms of looking and feeling healthier. So yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Michael. And I think that story really captures both some of the challenges LGBT people face in sport, but also the importance of it and the amazing benefits it can have. So thank you for sharing that. Introducing our third guest. Our third guest is Jake Williamson, who is so committed to sport and PE. He is joining us from his car after going to a class this morning. Um, Jake's pronouns are he, him, and he's a Stonewall ambassador aiming to help increase the visibility of gay players in sport, making it an easier coming out journey for other sport lovers. 
Jake is also currently training for the Cambridge Half Marathon and High Rocks Barcelona. So the first question, Jake, is what is a High Rocks? <laughs> uh, the easiest way to probably put it is uh, it's quite CrossFit based, but a bit more gem gem population, so um, less gymnastic based and more anyone can get involved. So it's a bit more bit more appropriate for for everyday fitness goers rather than being specialised and needing to have certain skill sets amazing and going to barcelona sounds like quite the perk so I'm yeah there, for that. there are some in the uk but i thought might as well go get a bit <laughs> Absolutely. Of if you're gonna do it you might as well do it in barcelona <laughs> so um jake what was your experience of pe like at school um probably the complete opposite to michael to be honest like i loved pe and and sort of was was fully involved with sport and fitness but but from a younger age so my parents sort of pushed me into it um which I'm grateful for. Um, but I think it's like there's the two extremes of being gay in sport. So either there's Michael's side of things or there's my side of things where you're kind of having to hide things and not necessarily be able to be yourself that authentically as, as we as we all sort of have come to that terminology. And it, it's difficult because I I was in such denial that it never really affected me too much in my own head that I that I knew of and then when you come back and you look at it you think there's so many moments where you go back to it and be like if only I could have just like had these conversations comfortably and it wasn't a taboo subject how easy <laughs> how easy it would have been to come out and just be natural um so I, I mean I work in fitness and and sport now so you can obviously tell how much of of an impact PE and that element of things had on me um but it's just again it's sad to know that people are, are forging letters to get out of something that's so beneficial to to your own health that it's it's no one should be deprived of of exercise on on any on any level so it's it's just sad really it's it's really interesting how different people's experiences were and i think we've got a really great broad range of experiences and voices to get into the conversation today and we have one more guest with us as well um our final guest is martha riggs who uses she her pronouns martha is currently an ect um in a school in bath martha joined teaching after working in sport and physical activity development for seven years where she worked with university students and local communities and schools to support them to embed physical activity into their lives martha now teaches geography and pe and is the lead of the equality committee martha what was your experience like of pe and sport in school so similarly to jake and alex actually i was really fortunate in my experience in school i absolutely loved pe and that was, um, you know, I found my my thing. And, um, you know, at that time in school, I had discovered my sexuality. So um, when I, but if I take myself back there and I think about it, how inclusive was it? I'm not sure it was. Um, and if I kind of think about it from what I know now, and um, I think there would have been um, times where actually students would feel, would have felt uncomfortable. Um, and actually, it wasn't um, a place for everybody. Um, you know, whether that was the fact that um, certain sports, girls girls played, certain sports, boys played. Um, and actually thinking about it, you know, did I not discover my sexuality until after school because there was no role models within school, potentially? And that is something that I um, I do think about now. 
Um, but, you know, for me, it, it really shaped my love for sport. Um, and, you know, that, that opportunity that I had, was I was very fortunate in. Brilliant. Thank you, Martha. And I think actually what you've all shared from your experiences there is going to lead us into the first thing we'd like to discuss today. So let's begin our discussion by thinking about why sport is such an important part of a person's life, but particularly when they're at school. Why is it so important to foster that love for sport at that young age? Would anyone like to start us off with that question? I think um, we've got such a responsibility as educators to um, ignite the the fire for love of sport and physical activity and moving and actually if we can um, instill that love at a young age then we can support young people to take that into adulthood because you know we know how important physical activity is for mental well-being for physical well-being and to support education as a whole in terms of students attainment so actually if we can ignite that as early as primary school um, then actually students come to secondary school with that passion and that drive and they want to engage and we give them that time away from the classroom that time where yes they can develop their um, improve their mental well-being improve their physical well-being but actually there's so much more to it than that as well there's um, connecting with other students that they may not connect with developing their teamwork developing their resilience you know I, I could go on for this for hours I think in terms of that importance but ultimately it's our responsibility to provide them with an enjoyable experience the amount of people that say oh I hated PE in school and that's why I'm now not active is huge and you know that's just not good enough really as educators we need to provide that enjoyment and to to enable students to find the sport that is right for them or the activity that is right for them you know um sport england moving away from that term sport because sport isn't right for everybody but moving is absolutely crucial for everybody and there's there is a way um for everybody to be able to move that they enjoy and it's finding that and if we can help students find that at school then for me we've done our job I think that's such an important point about finding the movement or the or the the sport or the activity that is right for you. Because I think about my experience in school, it was very competitive sport focused. And I, I'm I'm like annoyingly not competitive, right? So I'd be that person in the team who we'd let a goal in and I'd be like, oh gosh, oh dear, we'd let a goal in and everyone would be so annoyed and I just didn't get it because I didn't feel that same level of competition. For me, it was just it was just fun or something to, to do. It it didn't matter much to me if we won or lost which I can imagine for some of you sport lovers is like your worst nightmare right um so for me kind of more solo movement and more solo activity is better I I really enjoy running um but those options weren't really a a choice in school so I think that idea of finding the right activity and offering that variety is so important does anyone want to build on what Martha said there I think for me, it's it's the social element as well. Is it's it's obviously the the physical benefits are the science is there. It it can tell you straight away. But I moved up to Birmingham about three years ago. Didn't know a single person really. I knew the odd person who who knew other people. Joined a running club, and about eighty percent of my friends are now based from that. And then obviously I've got work colleagues and and friends along the way. But that initial process of moving to a new area. And having that accessibility there to go and just jump into a session and then the acceptance of of people from that is is been overwhelming sort of thing so it's it's not just a physical element to it there's as as Martha said there's hundreds of different things that it can bring to a person's life that you wouldn't even necessarily think it's it's going to have so i think that that's the the real benefits as well 
Yeah, it's those wider things, isn't it? It's the social, it's the skills that Martha yeah. talked about, it's the resilience, it's all those things. Yeah, I think um, as well, it's about finding your community. And, you know, a few of us have spoken about that um, already. And actually, you know, I said that, um, spoke about the fact that within school, within PE in school, I hadn't necessarily at that point discovered my sexuality, but actually it was through sport that I did. And that community, as soon as I joined um, a rugby team, I had a community of people where I thought, oh, I belong here and this is me. I can really explore who I am. And I think um, sport can do that in so many different ways for different people. And that kind of speaks into what Michael was saying earlier about the importance of the community aspect of the sport that you engage with now or the or the fitness that you engage with now. And, and you kind of talked us through how that wasn't your experience in school. So how has that kind of community, that social aspect changed your engagement with activity? In terms of my relationship with exercise, so it's it's changed because I feel I look forward to it. Like, don't get me wrong, there was an anxiety there when I first went to the small community gym that I go to now. Of course, there was a level of anxiety, but with time that fell away because my new, the new experiences I was able to create were far more positive and they kind of showed me that the evidence that I was basing well, my past experiences, the evidence that I'd built up over time about my previous experiences actually didn't need to match up and be the same today. Does that make sense? But at school, I felt, you know, very disempowered, very lonely, very isolated. When when I used to have my pants pulled down and, and things like that, I hadn't actually come out at that point. So people people kind of knew that I was gay before I did. I started to learn that I was gay um, when I was going through puberty. And those kinds of experiences made me feel very unsafe and like almost as if who I was was wrong. So I was very scared to come out and I ended up doing so in sick form purely because the pain of holding on to that secret became too much for me to to keep. Does that make sense? But I do think if I'd have had a better relationship with exercise, with school generally... I would have felt more empowered to be my authentic self at a younger age and wouldn't have perhaps had those experiences. Having said that, for me, I'm very grateful for my journey because in all of that pain has come what I'm really passionate about, conversations like this today. But I wouldn't want anyone else to go through what I went through, you know? (laughs) I think, first of all, thank you for being so honest. Um, It can be really difficult to talk about these experiences. But but one of the things I think is interesting that you said is you talked about... Um, how these experiences built up evidence that you used maybe to assess what your ability was in sport, whether you're good at exercise, whether you're the kind of person that can go to a gym. And that really resonates with me because I, I spent a long time thinking I'm just not good at exercise because this evidence, um, my evidence was that I hadn't had a good time during PE and sport in school. I actually stopped doing it at a really young age. I, I just stopped going. Um, it, it wasn't a space that I enjoyed being in or felt safe in. But actually, um, I had a similar experience to you. When I when I started to engage in sport and in exercise as an adult, I realised actually that evidence was wrong and I am actually quite good at these things and I enjoy them. But how, I suppose the question is, how do we change that experience in school? Because our experiences of exercise and sport in school will set the tone for how active we are in life. They give us that evidence of whether it's something we're good at or not. So I suppose my question is, how do we get that right? How do we set a create a space where everyone can engage 
in our physical activity and our sport and in our exercise in schools. Alex, you've obviously been a teacher for a PE teacher for many years. Can you perhaps tell us about it from your perspective and perhaps some of the challenges you faced in that position and how you perhaps overcome those and try to engage students in sport? Um, sure. So I suppose, yeah, I've been a teacher and now I'm sort of teaching the teachers. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm in a, a very fortunate position. Um, I suppose, you know, we've we talked about sexuality so far, but also gender as, as a part to play here as well and I suppose in that arena yes I I knew that I was good at sport and I was naturally competitive Um, but there was also a sense I had to prove myself in this arena um, as as a female coming into this space and I had to prove myself even more and that was um, quite ironic at times because I'd sort of prove myself so every so often I'd go out and compete with the boys and sort of prove that I, I I had a space here um, and of course that would alienate myself even further from some of the pupils um, some of the girls who obviously didn't want to be like me and some of the boys who felt um, that that they weren't as competitive and so I think it's about slowing down and reflecting about the decisions that we're making and yes there there is a part for com- competition in in sport um, and that can excite students and that can engage students at times but we have to be quite reflective of why we're making those decisions Um, and I think you know like the opportunities this morning it's about listening to people's experiences and and I try and help the students to do that so we talk about well how how are you going to listen to your own students how are you going to collect those voices how are you going to value all of those voices and more importantly how are you going to then reflect upon those um, moving forward so yeah that's that's how I try and help my students I I get them to think about their own lived experiences Um, I get them to think about how they're going to listen to their own students Um, it might be that they engage with theory as well um, and certainly engage with other colleagues as well Um, I think in that arena of trying to prove myself I isolated myself as well and and I think there's a lot of power of going into that staff room and, and talking to other colleagues as well. And I think that idea of voices is really important. And actually, I was having a conversation with the, the trust head of Pete at my school recently, and she's about to prepare a survey for students, particularly looking at LGBT inclusion. So could you perhaps give a little bit of advice around that? How can we hear the voices of our colleagues and students and try and make sure that sport is as inclusive as possible? Yeah, um, I think um, there's lots of different ways. Some, sometimes it can be anonymous. And I learned this over um, sort of our lockdown period. Um, I had lots of on- anonymous conversations and offering opportunities for that or, you know, online journals um, as well. Um, I think it's about valuing those discussions so not, you know, making anyone feel uncomfortable about those discussions. But actually, if we're not able to talk about these things, then we're not going to model that to our students. And and I know the more that I've talked about this and I come with my own lived experience, the easier it's become. Um, so I think about the expectations that I set down in that room to make it a safe environment that we, we talk. I might give my students some forewarning about something that I'm going to talk about as well. Um, I model how I'll challenge stereotypes or something that's inappropriate in a sensitive way. You know, I don't think you need to be um, unkind to anyone that's learning as well. Um, and and then I suppose not questioning or interrupting someone that's talking. You know, that they're, they're coming to it from their own lived experience. And, and sometimes we can't truly understand that. You know, it's just about just listening 
and, and reflecting upon it, you know. Um, so, yeah, all of those, all of those things. Thank you, Alex. There's some really, really helpful advice there. Something I'd like to talk about. I've watched a few interviews, Jake, where you've talked about kind of football and perhaps the idea of toxic masculinity in football. And I know you've had a few experiences yourself, some really positive, but also some negative. Can you perhaps just talk a little bit about the culture of football? Because I think when we compare women's football, where there's lots and lots of out gay role models compared to men's football, where there's one or two top flight players in the entire world, there's clearly a disparity there. So what are the challenges, do you think? And perhaps what are the things we can do to help people find a football a more you know, inclusive sport? Yeah, I mean, football, again, as we know, role models are limited. Sport in general, role models are limited. I think that's, from my perspective, probably the biggest difficulty I found, not coming out, but the reason why it took so long to come out and sort of understand myself and, and things like that. Like, for example, at PE, um, it was never spoken about. It was always a taboo subject. It was always a, a subject which, which shouldn't be uncomfortable and people should be happy to talk about it. And I didn't, there was no gay teachers I didn't really have anyone in sort of the close proximity family wise that was out so there was literally no one in in the family and then it comes to football where you're where you again it's almost like family element and and there's no one there either so I, I said in the, the recent article I did the other week I um I played football for over 20 years and I've, I've yet to meet an openly gay a lot of the time again people play against me they wouldn't necessarily know I was gay because I don't run around saying that I am but but out and you tend to know most of the teams when you play at a, a high level and who the players are and things and I'm still yet to yet to meet one so I, 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 don't, I think the main issue probably is say someone's someone's gay or or you insult someone with an insult it tends to be based on the feminine side of things or that someone's less masculine than than someone else and it's and it's the stereotypical factors that that is it's saying that gay is bad so therefore why would a player who's playing at the top flight who's got eighty thousand fans all most well not all blokes but mostly middle-aged white men in the stadiums because people that go to the games majority of the time um it's a tough place to come out, so I don't blame half of them who 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 haven't haven't done it yet, and then they choose to do it after they after they finish playing football because it's a safer place to do so. Um, but I would say we're getting there, aren't we? I mean, slowly but slowly but surely. Um, again, Jakob came out yesterday or the day before, so which is huge um, to come out in the in the Czech Republic. So. We're getting there, but it's just about, again, as I said, it's just about having the conversations, making it less of a subject that's, oh my God. Um, and it and it just, as it, in schools, and then I was going to touch on the point in primary schools where people are still, we're still not teaching kids about, not not even teaching them, but just having conversations. And, and again, that's going up to age of 10 and 11, which you're pretty, you're functioning pretty well at that point, aren't you? You know what's going on. And you and by that point, anyway, you think you know everything that's going on, anyway. Um, so not having those conversations then just leads to going into year seven or year eight, and then someone who is gay or who might show signs of being quite feminine or camp, well, then it's just setting them up for for almost failure in those PE and and those types of lessons because it's, they're not exposed to it. And the reality is, is we're there. <laughs> we're not going anywhere. <laughs> so. It's the foundational stuff for me, I think, and, and making it less of a, as I say, taboo conversation. 
And do you feel quite hopeful, Jake? Because obviously the last couple of years, it has been great to see, you know, only a couple, but there's two or three male footballers or athletes coming out in the press. And it does feel like there's a little bit of a tide here. Do you feel hopefully in a few more years, there'll be, this will be less of a taboo and there's progress being made? Yeah, I still think we're way off, way off. Yeah. Um, like the reality is is that we are. Um, but it's getting there. And I think the responses to the people coming out is, is what's showing signs of real progression. Obviously, you're going to get your people that are homophobic and they're going to say all sorts of things and, and you can speak quite loudly online. But in the grand scheme of things, a lot of it is, is positive and, and it is from there. Um, but yeah, I've, I mean, we're still way off, but it's getting there. We're, we're, we're slowly but surely. And that's all you can ask for really as well, isn't it, sometimes? Um, if everything came all at once, then you'd probably get a lot more hatred than if you do it bit by bit and then it gradually becomes a, a normal topic of conversation so as you were talking then you were talking about the, the difficulty with um really well-known footballers coming out because of the crowds that they're going to be in front of all the time i i suppose i was thinking about um some of our really well-known black male footballers and the racism that they experience when maybe they don't win a game or they they miss a goal um online that the racism they experience is from, from these, you know, people who are fans of their team, people who are meant to be fans of them, is awful. And I suppose the fear probably is that a, a, a gay a gay football player who is out and open, the game they lose the game and, and they'll experience homophobia in such a loud way from that crowd or from these fans in the same way that we see happen with racism or a similar way. But the interesting thing for me is that these crowds are built up of people who love sport who love exercise, who, who are engaged in it. So these crowds are built up of the people who in our schools loved our P lessons, loved our sport lessons. So really, I suppose that there's work to be done in how we challenge that at the moment. But the, the, if we really want to see that change happen over time, it's about getting those spaces right in schools. So these people who love sport grow up to be fans who love sport, who are tolerant and who are accepting and more open-minded. What do you think the, the barriers are in, in trying to create more inclusive, respectful um, kind of conversations around 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 sport and around PE in school? The more people that come out, it makes it a hell of a lot easier because then people have friends who are gay and then they learn from them. And if they don't accept them, then then it, it's on them really. And it's, it's sort of shows quite a, a sign of, of their personality and them as a person. But when I first came out, I mean, the number, again, I was from quite a quite a posh white area, so there wasn't that many gay people or that many black people in the area, so people weren't necessarily exposed to to this sort of <laughs> sort of thing. So by doing so, I've I've reached hundreds of people just in my local community um, where they wouldn't have had any gay friends before, and now they now they'll second guess and think, right, I probably can't say that or I shouldn't say that, even though it's intrinsically driven in us to be like oh that's gay or or something like that like a like a quick quick fire insult that's that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything you wouldn't you wouldn't be insulting like in your own head but by saying it you're pushing that views on on other people and, and keeping it as a negative so michael from your perspective obviously you talked about some of your challenges at school what would have been the things that would have made you feel more included and in a sport seen something as sports something you can engage in and look forward to think if something actually got done about it so an example would be 
you know, I'll keep using the same example. I've got so many different examples of of uh, being discriminated and bullied at school. But that example of my boxes being pulled down, when my mum wrote me notes and then when I started writing my own notes, um, I would still be told I need to bring my PE kit in and they'd still try and get me to get changed for PE to then sit out and not actually take part in the lesson. So they never actually got to the root cause, what was causing me anxiety, that humiliating experience, which was happening every single time. And the teachers knew about it and they never did anything to address that and actually let the kids know it's wrong, you know. And for me, that's a real serious example. You know, it's not just calling somebody a name. It's physical, it's sexual, it's not it's not appropriate in any way, shape or form. So to not call that behaviour out um, is really damaging, not just for me, but for them as well, because they're not being told that that's wrong. Do you see what I mean? As a kid, you're still learning right from wrong in a lot of ways. So if you are doing something which is wrong and you're not being told it's wrong, then where does your kind of, um, how do you learn? Do you see what I mean? So you know, and I've forgiven all of those experiences now. And that's been really important for me in moving forward and be able, being able to have a better relationship with exercise. Um, but for me, that's really important. And I think as well, just letting people know at a young age, you don't have to go into loads of detail, but at a young age, the things that make you different are the things that make you unique. And they're actually your superpower you know, being authentic and being able to be yourself, I think is so important in terms of having the foundations of a healthy relationship with yourself. And there's a lot of different narratives that go through society, I think, generally, that kind of can can interrupt that relationship with yourself um, in, a, in a negative way. So just reinforcing that being authentic is important. And uh, that, you know, we're all we're all unique and unrepeatable miracles just by being here. So in primary school, just letting kids know that, you know, letting them hold on to that even, I think is enough to just open them up to the idea that actually we're all different, you know, and that's okay. <laughs> that's lovely. Thank you, Michael. And Martha, from your perspective, obviously you've just started your teaching career. What do you think are some of the barriers and perhaps what are some of the things we can do as educators to make these spaces more inclusive? I think um, gender-specific sports traditionally within schools is, has been a barrier um, around inclusion for a long time and I think it still is the case within um, lots of school settings you know um, netball is for girls rugby is for boys um, we have boys in a group over here doing this sport girls in a group over here doing this sport and um, you know it's it brings back to that point of um, Jake's point again it's almost again you bring in that element of masculinity and rugby is a sport for masculine boys um, and actually I think those by by taking rid of, getting rid of that um, within schools and actually saying we don't need to have gendered um, sports groups for certain sports, you know, we will have mixed um, groups for everything. It's making every sport inclusive. And by making every sport inclusive, you're saying this sport is for everybody. And therefore, you're supporting students. And th but this needs to happen from a primary school age, because if they're exposed to mixed sport from a very young age, then actually, hopefully that thought of, oh, this isn't for me, won't come into, won't come into it for them. I think um, Michael's point about those conversations with young people, I think as 
um, P teachers, we're at a privilege that we see students in a very different light. We see them outside the classroom. There's more opportunities for informal conversations. And knowing your students is really, really important. And actually, PE teachers have got that opportunity to understand the students that they're working with, to be able to have those conversations, to be able to talk about role models, to talk about examples of um, everybody playing a certain sport, different people playing different sports. And I think that's that's really important. But actually providing all young people the opportunity to experience all sports um, I think is is really crucial. You know, even things down to changing rooms and enabling, ensuring there's a space for everybody to get changed in a space that is comfortable for them. You know, it's, it, okay, we can't knock down uh, sports halls that have already been built with certain spaces, but what we can do is ensure that we are adaptable with the spaces that we've got and create spaces that everyone feels that they can be safe because that's a huge barrier for students is they, won't, they don't want to get changed. So, you know, that's a really simple thing that schools can consider, but it's for teachers, it's that educating themselves, first of all, and understanding how they can be more inclusive, I think is really key as well. And we've said how few kind of role models there are for LGB people, but actually when we think about it in terms of trans and non-binary, there's, I could, I could barely name one or two off the top of my head. Alex, in your perspective, and obviously you've worked in single sex schools as well, what are some of the challenges of making sure our trans and non-binary or gender questioning students can be involved in sport? Obviously Martha's highlighted some of the challenges that we can't do much about, things like changing rooms and facilities, but what are the other issues and potential opportunities from your perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, what everyone said, I mean, in terms of making it safe, so thinking about the overt and the covert messages that we can give to all our pupils that this is a safe space, that we're going to support them. Um, being conscious of the language that we're using and the decisions we're making. Um, but also, I suppose the harder thing um, that I've tried to encourage schools to do is look beyond the, the bullying narrative. Of course, we have to call out the bullying, but it's actually being willing, and we're all very proud of the institutions that we work in, but actually starting to think about, well, what's within this culture that might be creating this? And, and Martha, you know, mentioned that in terms of in primary school. Well, actually, by starting to segregate boys and girls in terms of sport, well, what messages are we giving? So I think that willingness to question what we are doing. Um, so, you know, things like making uniform and, and sports kit gender neutral I mean it's just an easy an easy win you know and making sure that uniform is comfortable why wouldn't we want young people to feel comfortable we're putting them into an arena where it is about your body you are feeling exposed so why wouldn't we want to make them feel as comfortable as possible so questioning all those binary sort of assumptions and that makes it nicer for everyone um this isn't just about non-binary and, and trans pupils, um, you know, everyone feels safer. I think thinking about how spaces are used, um, you know, is everyone able to use that space or is it, you know, constantly being used by a particular group? Well, that's not fair. And what COVID messages are you giving in, in that sense? We've talked about the curriculum and the activities, but, you know, what topics are being raised? What opportunities are we, are we giving that we can highlight role models and, you know, uh, organisations within the within the wider community that can support our students? Um, thinking about how we group our students, um, thinking about teams. And, you know, there's, there's times for taking um, mixed teams. Um, there's fantastic opportunities where, and obviously in primary schools, 
you know, why are we segregating anyway? There's, there's literally no need at that age. Um, but equally putting, you know, different teams on a bus just so that they can value one another and value the sport they're playing I think that's wonderful opportunities we have to think a little bit wider you know what does this mean for trips where we're taking the students and where they're staying um, having conversations with another school to make sure that those facilities are safe uh, you know and and things are not going to be said and, and everyone's going to be valued playing um, we've talked about not just making it performative as soon as you take that away and it's about people enjoying sport enjoying activity that, that changes our approach to what we're doing. As I said, thinking about language, thinking about pronouns, not making assumptions. You know, um, talking to one primary school and it was sort of, well, the, we haven't got any LGBT pupils, don't you? You, you know, um, you know that, that's really interesting. Just because they're not known to you doesn't mean that there might not be or they might come to understand themselves in that way so I think it's that more nuanced appreciation and and sometimes it is very difficult to be out and open you know and and I recognize my own privilege um, that I can pass at times um, but in in our own way just challenging and being a supportive ally is amazing. Alex, I was like nodding along so vigorously with that amazing list of things there that schools can be doing because there's so much good practice there. And it's almost frustrating because I know it's not easy to easily done, but you've said it as if it's common sense. And I think sometimes the challenges are getting leaders on board with some of this work. So I wonder if this might be a good time to talk a little bit about your research, obviously in terms of querying leadership. Um, can you tell us a bit about your research, but also how can we make sure leadership teams recognise the importance of this work and this conversation we're having today? Yeah, it's fantastic hearing Michael talking about the qualities that we come with, not because of, you know, how we're made, but because of our lived experiences. And if I'm really honest, I'm only just coming to appreciate that myself now. Um, and I think I think that's what, you know, leadership op opportunities offer you to really think about your lived experiences and, and, and what you can provide. Um, yeah, again, it's it's challenging those hierarchies and those assumptions of leadership and and you know we've got a special vantage point haven't we we're, we're, we're questioning things we're offering a different perspective we're flipping things and that's what querying leadership is about so um, yes I think it's important that we have visible LGBT leaders but we've got that narrative now it's about thinking about well are we really querying what leadership is because it's one thing saying well we need to be an authentic leader well being an authentic leader as, as a member of the LGBT community is very different for me. It might be very different to another member of the LGBT community. It might be very different among non-LGBT people. So um, I think starting to question those things. So I'm very fortunate um, I, I, I have access to an LGBT leadership development program within a post-1992 university. Um, and the program has three face-to-face -face days. Um, lots of workshops, lots of mentorships, you know, learning from other people, speaking to one another. Um, it's incredibly safe, powerful environment. Um, I've learned a lot and it's been very important to me to learn a lot because I'm now hyper visible within my own university. So I'm sort of another part of my journey now. I've gone from being invisible in school where I couldn't speak about it um, to actually um being in a slightly different position. And, and that comes with different challenges and different vulnerabilities. So I'm very appreciative of everything that I'm learning on the leadership programme as well.
it's interesting. So much of the conversation that we're having seems to be around perceived masculinity, not necessarily actual masculinity, but how people perceive your levels of masculinity to be. And, and maybe that's why um, more feminine or, or, or more feminine gay men have certain experiences in our sports spaces and queer women or lesbian women have different experiences. And there are so many conversations in the news, in the media around trans people in sport. Actually, I would argue a disproportionate amount of conversations, particularly around that issue. But it is important if we want to create these inclusive spaces. Um, and there's been there's been changes legally to that as well. Martha, could you talk a little bit around that for us? Yeah, of course. So I think um, I think you're right. There's been kind of a lot of conversation in the media and um, within rugby. Sadly, there's been a kind of big step backwards. I think for um, trans inclusion within within the sport, and um, a new law has been brought in that that prevents trans women playing within women's rugby. Um, so there was. Seven, I think seven um, trans women that had previously been given permission to play um, trans uh, to play women's rugby, and now the law means that they are unable to play the sport that they have been playing for years, um, and it comes from um, research that they have done around safety. And I can understand, I understand the safety aspect um, within rugby. Um, I think the challenge is that. When you've got a num, you know, a small number of individuals, um, there is more that you can do to understand those people as individuals and say, okay, what can we do to understand the safety impact of you playing within this group of people? So, actually, can we put resources in to um, assess the safety of of this individual within that context? Um, because that's what we do for age grade rugby. So, for young um, young players, if they want to play up an age group then actually they're just assessed against their physicality and the safety. So actually, why not do the same thing for trans women? Um, and I think there's a long way to go um, generally within the RFU um, to make it more of an inclusive sport. We spoke earlier around um, the disparity between men's football and women's football in terms of inclusion. And this, the same goes, I think, within rugby. Um, women's rugby has always been that safe space um, and has often been very inclusive. I think, sadly, um, this law removes some of that within women's rugby. But at the same time, women's rugby is much safe, is a much safer space for LGBT plus community than men's rugby is. Um, so, you know, there's, there's tokenism, things like um, rainbow laces that that all men's clubs um, partake in, but actually does the conversation happen with them in the change rooms? Are they, is that spoken about or are they just handed over some laces to wear? Um, you know, that are there role models within men's rugby? Some, but again, um, not in, to the same extent there is with, within women's rugby. So um, yeah, I think there is still that disparity there between, between the two sports. It's an interesting point that you talked about that kind of individual assessment um, because I think that, um, you know, with the, we look at the census data recently about the number of trans people in our country and we look at the data in schools about the number of trans people in our schools and so often we're looking or people are pushing for a blanket rule, whether that's in sports like rugby or whether that's in schools, what should we do, what should our rule be that we use every time? And actually the numbers or the number of trans people in our schools is low enough that we can have individual conversations about what's best for that individual and how to navigate 
how, how we create a space that's inclusive for them. And I think the the push or this this desire for, for for a set blanket rule that works for everyone is ultimately going to lead to the exclusion of individuals. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that individual conversation within schools is absolutely crucial. I was talking to our head of PE and um, she was talking about how she's had a number of individual conversations with students, which um, within the school that I'm at, they're moving away from um, gender specific sports for um, students. But traditionally it's it's there and it's there amongst the independent school community. So, um, you know, they're pushing against that. But for, the, for those individ, for certain individuals, the conversation is: What sport do you want to play? What sport is right for you? Um, and actually, it's it's much more around: Okay, are you able to perform at this level? If you're able to perform at this level in this sport, this is this is who you play with, regardless of um, your gender. So I think that things like that is really important that schools kind of um, move towards that individual approach. Martha, you talked there about how these these maybe systems are kind of embedded into our schools. It's the way we've always done things. And Adam and I, a lot in our work, talk about the idea that this isn't us trying to um, imagine LGBT inclusive spaces, it's actually trying to reimagine. We're, we're having to really reimagine what our schools look like, what our classrooms look like, and what our physical education looks like in school. And part of that reimagining involves kind of simultaneous learning and unlearning of the way we've always done things. And people will need support for that process. So I wonder, and any of you can can contribute to this, what advice or guidance would you give to a school or, or a PE department who are looking to be more LGBT inclusive? And is there any specific places, organisations, resources that you would point them towards? I think the, um, the first thing I would say is be bold. Um, you know, Yes, there's been traditions and things have been done in a certain way, but it doesn't mean that that has to always be the way. Um, and actually educating yourselves as a, de- a physical education department is so important. So you you are starting at the start point where you have the knowledge to be able to have the conversations that you need to have with um, leaders. And Alex spoke a lot about that and the importance of getting leaders on board. Um, but actually have that knowledge, have the understanding of the students within your school. Um, you, won't, you won't know everything about all students, of course, but um, if you could ensure that um, the policies and the procedures that you're putting in place are inclusive for all, um, and you can then take that with that understanding and that education. I think that that is a really good starting point. Um, and there's lots of organisations that can support with that as well. Um, so, you know, Pride Sports, for example, have a lot of um, communication around how schools can be more inclusive. And actually, they've got um, even search engines where you can search LGBT inclusive sports clubs, for example. And actually sharing that with students is really important, helping them know that that exists. Um, I was also looking at um, Leap Sports, which is um, a Scottish-based organisation, and they've got on there a brilliant manifesto that was created by students. So it's all around how schools can sign up to this manifesto to almost commit to um, saying, yes, we are going to be more inclusive. Um, And Stonewall, again, of course, um, they've got a lot of resources as well that can support schools. Thank you, Martha. There's so much great signposting there in terms of additional support because we need people to recognise they don't need to be the experts on this, but there's loads and loads of great advice and support out there for them. And um, Michael, anything from your perspective? I was just going to add in, you know, encouraging individuality, but also 
being aware of being aware of your own kind of biases and your own limitations as a teacher or an educator or just as a person generally I think um, because we all have them and when I think about our conditioning and what we learn when we grow up we're a product of our past you know and we may pick up language which is outdated or we may have gone through a particular experience which has informed a perspective on a situation that's happening now which may not be the reality of things so being willing to reflect and question ourselves I think but also be open to receive other people's perceptions um, and interpretations on things and perspectives I think it, it all helps doesn't it you know to to better inform how we can improve in the future you know not just as people as a community but as a society as a whole so yeah I think that's what I'd contribute to that one Thanks, Michael. That's really wonderful advice. And anything from yourself, Alex? Yeah, I'm just sensitive that um, by talking about any community, it it can lead to feeling like it's being divisive in some way. And so I just reach out and say, think think about what the meeting point is. Um, You know, don't address this as if this is the law. We know it is the law, but um, actually that can make people feel defensive um, so I talk about thinking about, well, we're all here to value all our pupils. We're all, we're here to value all our pupils' family and the wider school community. We're here to value all our staff. And I think that's the meeting point. I think everyone can agree on that. No one disagrees on that. Um, and then sometimes I'm, I'm just thinking about my own um, experiences with relationship and sex education. It's perhaps asking parents and staff to reflect on their own experiences of relationship and sex education. That might be a nice way into this this conversation. Um, but but certainly, you know, you know, um, supporting what Michael and um, Martha have, have said here in terms of you know valuing the diversity of, of your staff. Um, you know, the perspectives that we're going to come on with different vantage points. Um, recognizing the qualities as a marginalized member of the community we're probably going to be very sensitive to the inclusion of other people and and we're going to have a nuanced appreciation of how to handle this as well Um, and you know Martha's already talked about that creativity thinking about this again let's come to this again ultimately we want this to be safe and welcoming for all our pupils so we might just need to think about this again. I love that idea of meet, what's the meeting point and how do we start the conversation there? I feel like that's a, a really hopeful way to frame the conversation. But there are times where we will have to navigate challenges or navigate young people who are not finding hope and in, in, in enjoyment in our sports spaces. So, Michael, do you, do you have a suggestion of what we do when we come across that? How do we help to navigate that? But if you have, you know, a student that is perhaps... Um, struggling or going through a difficult time actually having a chat with them sitting down with them and asking them what do you what do you need how can I support you how can I help you you know um I think that again really helps that never happened once in in all my school life um but have if I'd have had kind of some sort of mentor or some sort of support in that way it may have changed the whole experience in that I had that kind of sounding board to talk about what was going on do you see what I mean so I thought I think a bit of support in that way could be beneficial 
Thanks for that. Yeah, on reflection, I do think it's been quite a hopeful conversation. So I want to end in a hopeful way as well. So we're going to come to each of you now and we have one final question to ask. And the question's going to be, what is the best thing about being an LGBT plus athlete, educator or role model? I think breaking down stereotypes is probably the the biggest one for me and, and gives me sort of the biggest reward in terms of knowing that someone's doing something for for past me um i think even even working in the gym again not not as an athlete but as a as a trainer in the fitness world the amount of of sort of prejudgment and and people saying oh do you, how's your girlfriend or do you have a girlfriend and then it's like no my partner he or my boyfriend and it's and it's although it's tiring yes you you kind of feel like you're not teaching someone but opening their eyes to be a bit more reactive and 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 the next time they probably won't do that so they've learned and they'll then go to the next person and be like oh did your partner and they're not pre-assuming or assuming as alex sort of sort of spoke about earlier it's, it's breaking down that that assumption like you can't assume i think for me it's um a privilege to be able to be a role model to students within school and um to show them the wonders of not only accepting who you are but really embracing who you are you know, I think Martha and, and Michael and Jake have already touched on this, but I suppose if I could give that 13-year-old Alex one piece of advice, it would be um, don't underestimate yourself or the influence you can have on other people. The first 28 years of my life, I lived in a lot of pain, to be honest with you, and it was all very internalised. But today, my life is absolutely beautiful. So I guess just letting people know that there is an alternative out there um and yeah supporting people to do that and just making people aware of it is really important so I love that those of you who listen to our podcast regularly will know that there's often a point in most of the conversations where I cry and that was the point for me today um that made me really emotional to hear all of your reflections on that question because I think sport exercise and and being active it's so important for all people but it isn't always inclusive of all people because it can it can help us to be to be physically healthy, mentally healthy. It reduces risk of disease and improves our ability to do everyday activities. And, and as we've discussed today, it, it can be a great source of community and confidence and authenticity. But the way that we teach sport and exercise and physical education in our schools will will set the tone for each young person which can influence how they go on to engage with that in the rest of their lives. And and as educators, we have the opportunity to help to build healthy habits. But to do so, we need to have these conversations. We need to unpick this idea of perceived masculinity in sport. We need to think about how we create safe sports spaces. And as we suggested today, we need to reimagine how we're creating spaces where all people can feel included. Thank you all so much for joining our conversation today. I found it really fascinating, really moving at times. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That was such an interesting conversation. Whenever we speak to one educator in an interview, I come away with so much to think about, but actually having a group of people with such different experiences was really interesting to to kind of see the balance of those 
Definitely. And also, I think it's probably the most frequent questions I get about sports. So to have an episode which we can now signpost people to because there was so much like rich conversation and advice and guidance and best practice in there. And actually, I'd make a plea to our listeners that anyone that listens to this episode, I would ask you to encourage your sports department to go and listen to it because I really think it's kind of essential listening for everybody. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave a review or a five-star rating, as this helps other educators to find these stories. If you want to continue the conversation, to comment or to ask a question, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pride Progress. You can also find other ways to contact us in the show notes. Thanks for listening.